0: This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Englington in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com.
1: The United Jewish Appeal of Toronto presents A 10-Minute Canvases Institute UJA money is used to help refugees get settled and become self-supporting. Did you know that 15,000 newcomers are now settled in Toronto
2: alone? That's some of what it sounds like at a Toronto synagogue this fall. Holy Blossom Temple is holding a special exhibit to mark the 100th anniversary of the Jias Social Services Agency. Jias is short for Jewish Immigrant Aid Services. It was founded after the First World War to help European Jews. They worked frantically to get them here, even as Hitler rose to power in the 30s, lobbying the Canadian government to pry open the immigration doors... Though sadly, these remained mostly closed to Jews until after the Second World War ended. Since then, though, Jaius has been the gateway to a new life for hundreds of thousands of refugees. From the Hungarian Revolution in the 50s, to Morocco, and to Ukrainian refugees to date. And not only Jewish ones, but from many diverse faiths. I'm Ellen Bessner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, November the 24th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Our CJN Daily producer, Zachary Kaufman, went to see the Jaius exhibit, and he brings you this special mini-documentary.
3: One thing that unites all Jewish Canadians from Victoria to Winnipeg to Halifax, across political and religious denominations, is that we all came from somewhere else. Before there was here, there was there. And whether it's part of your recent or more distant memory, all of our families were once strangers in a strange land. The idea of an organization to help Jewish immigrants from Europe began after the First World War with many small groups of volunteers in cities across Canada. On a summer's day in 1922, a hundred years ago this year, all these groups came together to create Jewish Immigrant Aid Services, otherwise known as JIAS. To celebrate this anniversary, JIAS hosted two special exhibits. The first, called Love the Stranger, was created with the Ontario Jewish Archives. It uses original documents and photos and oral histories to tell the story of Gias and how Canada's Jewish population arrived at our shores. The second is called the Refuge Canada Tent. It's a traveling exhibit created by the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 in Halifax. And it introduces viewers to Canada's place in the global refugee crisis. So I headed over there where I met Dara Sullivan.
4: I'm the executive director of the Ontario Jewish Archives and Holocaust
5: Education Center.
3: And Jody Block.
5: And I'm the manager of community engagement at JIAS Toronto Jewish Immigrant Aid Services.
3: Who walked me through the exhibits and revealed this whole amazing story that makes up the foundation of the entire Jewish-Canadian experience. All of that, right after this message.
0: Did you know April 2023 is Israel's 75th anniversary? In honor of this huge milestone, UJA Federation of Greater Toronto is planning an epic trip to Israel, and all of Canada is invited. Israel's anniversary, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is a -a one-of-a-kind experience. Streets are filled with parties, fireworks, music, and dancing. On UJA's Israel 75, you'll get to join the celebration. 75 is not a regular anniversary, and Israel 75 is not your typical trip. You'll get a truly unique experience of the country, no matter how many times you've been before. With 10 specialized tracks, you can create an itinerary that is totally personalized, whether you're a foodie, an adrenaline seeker, a TV buff, or politically minded. The best part? You can mix and match tracks on different days, embark on a thrilling adventure one day, and a culinary experience the next. Let your own interests be your guide, and experience everything Israel has to offer. To learn more about the trip, visit UJAIsrael75.com. That's UJAIsrael75.
5: These were people who had settled in Canada and they saw that, that there were pogroms happening overseas and that Jews needed help, and they wanted to bring, whether it was their relatives or, you know, I'm sure people know about the Landsmannschaft societies, which are groups of, you know, people connected by the, the little town that they came from originally. They, wa- they wanted to help. In the early days, there was government incentives
4: for immigrants to to settle in the North and farm. Mm. There's not much farming can be done when winter is like eight months of the year. But there were um, government incentives. But it was really like chain migration. So there was like an uncle in the North who had established himself a few years earlier, who had a business.
3: One example of a person who took that path was Jack Shindman, a man who would later become known as Mr. Gias for his lifelong commitment to helping newcomers to Canada. He knew firsthand how hard it can be just getting into the country.
6: The, my uncle, that time, went to Bolton, Ontario, and he got an affidavit from a farmer, that I am uh, going to a farm in Bolton.
3: That's him in an oral history from the Ontario Jewish Archives. Born in 1897 in what was then the Russian Empire, Jack lived through the First World War and the October Revolution. After his parents were killed in a pogrom, he was the sole guardian for his four young siblings. If they were going to survive, he knew he had to get them out of Russia.
6: When we received the affidavit, and we went down to the British consul, and he went down and he said, show me your hands." I showed him my hand. And he says, you're not a farmer. Your hands they haven't got no muscles. He went down and examined my wife. He says, your wife is not a farmer, okay? I'm sorry, I can't give you the visa. He refused the visit to go to, to Canada.
3: In spite of the difficulties, Jack did eventually make it to Toronto in nineteen twenty three. He'd go on to volunteer with GIS, heading their housing committee, and eventually becoming GIS's president, devoting his life to helping immigrants just like him. Now, in the early days of GIS, a lot of the organization's work focused on making sure newcomers had basics a place to sleep, food, a way to connect to their family. Dara Solomon from the Ontario Jewish Archives showed me a 1926 letter from Hilda Nerol, Gias's executive secretary at the time, describing helping a young woman by offering her own home to the new immigrant for the night.
4: And I'll just read. I then took the passenger down to their trains, telling the conductor whom they were and to be sure to take care of them and let them know where to get off. There were, however, two passengers destined to Kitchener who would not leave that evening as there was not a train till 7 o'clock the next morning. One, w- one was a young man and the other a young woman. I phoned up to Miss Chenla community house, but she was not there, and I asked the housekeeper if she would let the man spend the night there. So imagine, like, on her feet, no cell phones, trying to find accommodations for these people who had traveled, like thousands of miles to finally arrive in Canada and now they were meeting them at the trains I imagine like down at Union Station in Toronto because they probably arrived from Pier 21 in Halifax taking the train to Halifax and then scattered to like places. And, you know, these people I'm sure were, were so scared. Like you just think, it makes you think these documents where they're reflecting on these individual stories put you really, put you back there and you really can sort of feel like the, the fear that they must have been experiencing.
3: But once an immigrant manages to find a new home, a whole new set of obstacles begin. Mina Loeth and her family fled Czechoslovakia in 1938 after the Nazis invaded the Sudetenland. They settled in New Hope, Ontario, a village just south of Hamilton. Eighty years and two generations later, the Loweth family farm is one of the largest dairy operations in southern Ontario. But the first years were bitterly hard.
1: The ladies were busy preparing meals for all these people under the most uh, primitive conditions. I know my parents were anxious to get the young people enrolled in a school, mainly, I guess, to get us out of the way. Also, having 36 people live under one roof presented a great problem as far as water was concerned. And a kindly farmer allowed us to haul water from his barn with milk cans uh, to the house on the rand farm. It was quite a little ways. What's
3: interesting and maybe tragic, or both, is that Jayas' work today isn't all that different than it was 100 years ago. Here's Jody again.
5: And particularly in these recent months with Ukrainians arriving with no warning. Uh, you know, people were literally just arriving in Canada and, and had nowhere to stay, didn't know anyone. So we were scrounging for solutions. People in the community were stepping up and offering to help people stay with them. It was a little complicated because it's 2022 and there are you know, liability issues and you can't just say, okay, sleep at um, Zachary's house because we're sure he's a really nice guy. Um, so we, we, we ended up actually getting a partnership grant from Airbnb.org, which is the humanitarian arm of Airbnb that allowed us like, sort of the structure to, to do this. But we, over the last many months, have literally been placing people in, in short-term housing because they have nowhere to stay.
3: In the 1930s, the Canadian government held its infamous none is too many immigration policy towards European Jews. Only in 1983, when the late Irving Abella and Harold Tropper published their book by the same name, did the public learn about the extent of the government's Jewish immigration restrictions. From 1933 until 1945, only 5,000 Jewish refugees were admitted into Canada fewer than any other Western country. In an oral history recorded in 1993, Toby Tabak, the longtime secretary at Jaius, explained that most people at the time didn't understand why their relatives weren't getting in.
1: They only knew that he has someone in Poland and he wants to snatch him out, or someone in another country that if you wait another day or another week or another month or six months, there will be no one to bring. By the same token, Jayas was helpless in changing the regulations because um, the events um, were uh, so readily and uh, practically changed overnight. Right. And governments, governments, countries um, refused to accept People, you have the struma that was flying, you know, the waters for, sure. for months and nobody wanted them until the people drowned. In the years 37, 38 and 39, your office was literally jammed with frantic people in Toronto. What was a week then like? Could you describe the sort of atmosphere that pervaded the office as well as you can remember it? Well, at that time, the offices were flooded with inquiries as to the whereabouts of their relatives, and we have a tracing service. And uh, we were busy with the tracing of relatives and filing the application for close relatives.
3: The job was all-consuming. Toby said in those years, she'd come into the office late Saturday nights, after Shabbat was finished, to try and work on just a few more applications.
1: At that time, when someone came into the office, he got immediate attention. It wasn't a matter of, I have five minutes and I'm going to lunch, or uh, I'm sorry, I can't see you make an appointment with my secretary. There wasn't such a thing as manana. Manana may be too late. And in my personal opinion, and I have continued this credo right through until the is that any person that walks through the Jaya's door should we see the first priority with a height.
3: That ethos remained even as the makeup of Jaius's clients began to shift. Until the 50s, Jayas' clients were fairly culturally homogenous. Many of them had shared languages, rituals, histories, both with each other and with the settled Ashkenazi Jewish community already in Canada.
5: Uh, but you really see it come to the fore in, in this panel, Uniting Jewish Communities, where uh, we talk about the arrival of immigrants and refugees from uh, Morocco and from other right. North African countries. Here are people, Jews arriving from different countries with you know some different traditions, who eat different foods and speak a different language, and you know the the cultural divide is even greater than it had been in previous waves of immigration. And this is where we start to sort of address it head on and and say. Um, We can't do things the same way, and we can't, um, you know, we have to make some changes. And and Mr. Benzakar, who I have the pleasure of knowing.
6: My name is Maurice Benzakar. I came to this country in 1957, and uh, I was one of the first uh, immigrants from Morocco. We left because we had uh, neighbors are leaving, you know, and in part, really, to be honest with you, the creation of the state of Israel. So Jews being in an Arab country was very hard.
5: Uh, He said, you know, I remember when I spoke to him, he sort of told this funny anecdote where he said, you know, in the morning I I wanted a a cafe au lait. And he said, like, nobody in Toronto even knew what that was, which is just a a sort of a funny example. um, Because, you know, the worst of his issues should have been that he didn't have his cafe au lait. But, you know, he said he really wanted to change Jaya so that um, people coming the Sephardic immigrants coming from North African countries didn't feel like such outsiders. Here they were coming to a, a, a place with a big Jewish community and they still felt like such outsiders because they didn't speak Yiddish and they didn't eat the same foods and you know they spoke Arabic and French and um, you know he really helped lead the agency's efforts to integrate Moroccan and other Sephardic Jews uh, into the wider Jewish community.
6: Uh, when I left Casablanca, uh, in October 1957, I uh, we made a stop in Paris to say goodbye to our relatives and family and so on, and we landed in Toronto Friday night. Met by. Uh, young secretary from Jaius.
5: When we talk about Jewish immigration, nice we forget about some of the groups that came. You know, there's a beautiful, beautiful picture here um, of, of Mr. Benzikar welcoming a an, an Indian Jewish family in 1968. And I had the pleasure of speaking to Miriam Daniels, who's a, a member of our community, worked at UJA for many years. And, you know, she spoke about the fact that her family coming from India, very much a Jewish family, you know, felt like outsiders for, for many years. Uh, you know, they had brown skin, they had different traditions, they um, had their own cultural uh, cultural heritage that wasn't at odds with the Jewish community, but that wasn't recognized. Right, and also, like, didn't fit into the, our narrative um,
4: that, we, that we know of for, like, Jewish immigration. I mean, it was really sort of outside the box, and I think it's only... I would say we're only recently beginning to recognize the the full diversity of the Jewish community.
3: Through the second half of the century, Jaius began serving people from all over the world. People like Brenda and Colin
6: Braskind. People that are born here take a lot of stuff for granted, and we don't because we don't, we didn't have it. Now we do. And the attitude of Canadians, the attitude
1: of the Canadian police, compared to what we used to, these, these guys are, you know, they are gentlemen. We were very scared of the police in South Africa. If a policeman stopped you, you were scared. As a white person? Yes. Well, yeah. They were harsh, very harsh. and
3: And refugees fleeing the Soviet Union, both Jewish and not Jewish. About 30 years ago, Jody told me, Jayas began receiving significant funding from the federal government, and they were able to broaden their clientele even further.
5: There is a real turning point in recent memory, and that is the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, because when the Syrian refugee crisis happened, it just kind of blew everything open. Our phones started ringing off the hook. Jaius had become a sponsorship agreement holder with the government, which meant that we could sponsor refugees together with private citizens. And um, and people really wanted to help and sponsor Syrians.
7: Fear was, you know, ISIS coming, the bombs that were going off and bullets flying everywhere, they could not go to school. There was a lot of changes, as you can just imagine what the war does to a country, how it tears it apart. In 2015, seven of my brother-in-law's family were slaughtered in their own home. They were beheaded in their own home and uh, two of them, two of their girls were kidnapped. And until, that, until this day, we don't know where they are. There's not a day that I don't think about them. Uh, and that just had, like I was crying every single day because I did not know, I wanted to help my family. I did not know what to
3: do. That's Tana Sarif, recounting the horrors the Syrian civil war brought to so many families like hers.
5: And all of a sudden, here we were, a Jewish organization working with Canadians, Jewish and not Jewish, to help bring Syrians to Canada and you know we needed to work with the Arab Community Center and we needed to form partnerships here with the Syrian community and and understand the population we're going to be welcoming and that was you know a really big shift for the organization where all of a sudden we realized we can do this.
7: So we went to Jaya's I mentioned that I have three other sisters. And they actually were like, um, we're going to bring all of them. This was all arranged through Jaius. So Jaius had done all the paperwork. They had the funds as well. We did not need to raise any money. They literally saved their lives.
3: Beside the Ontario Jewish Archives exhibit is a second exhibit from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 in Halifax, where many generations of refugees arrived. It's called the Refuge Canada Tent, designed to be the same size and scale as the tents millions of people are living in right now in refugee camps around the world. And it's the type of shelter that many of the refugees who Jayasa serves had lived in before they got to our shores. So I'm at the entrance now. I'm at the other side, I'm at the other end. That's how much space An entire family might have to do their homework, to sleep, to work, to live an entire life. When we read about refugees in the news, it usually feels like a world so different from our own. Something happening in a faraway place to a faraway people. But in the exhibit, each visitor is faced with questions. And then two panels below. One says yes, the other no. And you have to ask yourself. You have to consider. And then lift up the panel with your answer. Do you have a university degree? Yes. You could be a refugee. The highly educated are often persecuted by governments in times of unrest because they are seen to have influence and leadership ability. Have you ever voted against the governing party? You could be a refugee. Voting for an opposition party may be seen as evidence of disagreement with the governing regime this may not be tolerated by authorities leading to persecution are you a journalist writer or artist you bet
5: some people are living their entire lives in as refugees they have families people have children in refugee camps they raise their kids their kids have to be educated um, it's like a some, some refugee camps are so... Huge. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people. They're almost like uh, cities. But refugee camps were not meant to be permanent. Refugee camps were supposed to be a very temporary solution. And the refugee crisis is so severe. Canada's taken in so many refugees. If you look at the Syrians, I think the government committed to 25,000. They committed to taking 40,000 Afghan refugees, and they haven't even all arrived yet. And to Canadians, that sounds like such a massive number. But when you're talking about, you know, 30-something million refugees around the world... And if you're talking about people who are displaced, sometimes even within their own country, the number balloons to, I think, close to 90 million, 90 million displaced people around the world. Uh, And by the way, three years ago or two years ago, it was 70 million. So we're talking about like these numbers are growing. It's such a, a disturbing rate. that. You know, Canada taking in 40,000 Afghan refugees, it sounds a lot to Canadians, but it's, a, it's, it's nothing. It's like a tiny little... Drop in the very sad bucket. Cool. Exactly.
3: It's not just refugees, though. Jaius helps economic immigrants. Workers coming to this country to seek better lives. The team at Jaius knows that in the years to come, their work will be more important than ever. Global instability, wars, climate crises... All of these will push millions of immigrants and refugees around the globe. The question isn't if they'll come to our country's door. The question is what will the Canadian public do when they hear the knocking? As we ended the tour, Jody and I talked about Jaius' plans for the future. She says the organization will keep being driven by the same values it's had since its founding 100 years ago. Loving the stranger and turning what begins as a strange land into a homeland.
5: Jaius is prepared to be here for the next century to continue to help welcome Jewish immigrants to this country and to help them find their place in our community and also to work with the the established Jewish community to support humanitarian immigration to Canada. uh, People of all faiths who need to find safe haven. And we're honored to be part of, of that work. We're honored to be here as, a, as now an established organization in the Jewish community. Um, you know, we look at our Jewish community, and we're all immigrants. We've all been immigrants at one point or another. And it's, it's our honor to be here to help those who come today and in the future. And it, you know, it's really a privilege to be living in a country that values humanitarian immigration and that continues to build a diverse, uh, diverse society that values newcomers.
2: And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this special episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. The exhibit runs until November the 28th, and we put the link in our show notes if you want to learn more. I'm off for the rest of next week in Portugal, but we'll be back Monday, December the 5th. If you've got a Jaya story to tell us, please drop us a line here at the CJN Daily. My email is ebessner at thecjn.ca. Thanks for listening.
0: The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.